Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Talking Shit About with me, Elizabeth Whipperman, aka DJ Lizard Breath. Each month, specifically the first Friday of each month, I have a guest on to talk about something they hate, something they struggle with, maybe something they're a fan of but they have some issues with. This month I had on one of my best friends, Rob Cave, aka the Ace of Bass, to talk about his experience with schizoaffective disorder. I got a lot out of this episode. I think you will too. I was originally planning on airing this episode after March because I wasn't sure about having two episodes focusing on mental illness, you know, that have some darker themes, you know, so I wanted to split it up originally, but I think there are so many parallels between the two that it's actually really beneficial to listen to them uh, close to, closer together. So if you haven't listened to episode eight with Graham Barry um, on obsessive compulsive disorder, I highly recommend you do. And then I also recommend you listen to all the episodes if you haven't yet. But I'm going to go ahead and let us start talking some shit. started on this podcast yeah dude let's do it let's do it cool all right so i am here today with missoula's ace of bass kung fu connoisseur (laughs) rob cave (laughs) hi rob how are you i'm doing good you know i'm sitting at my trailer my headphones on my cat's staring at me awkwardly and it's it's been a solid day the sun's out you know no complaints How's Kia doing? Kia is doing good. She's honestly, she's known for her sharp wit and her cut through sass, but she's been pretty chill lately. I've been, she wasn't outdoor, well, she was indoor, an indoor cat only for a long time because she ran away a couple times for like, you know, three, five days at a time. But she's kind of, I've been letting her out pretty much as she wants to go out. And now she's a, I'm too cold back in the house in five minutes kind of cat. But it's like, <laughs> It's definitely chilled her out. Like you can tell she's a lot more like friendly and chill and social and loves getting pet more, which is good. So oh, I miss yeah. her. Yeah, and then you drew her you you immortalized her on a t-shirt for Rob Travolta too. Yeah. Um she looks speaking... so you captured her okay. so well. Like I'm like I look at her, I'm like, that is Kia, like to the T. Like he has that little pooch and like you got the little that little like couch boots <laughs> thing like perfectly and i was like that that i feel like you could you like drew kia from memory and i'm like i'm impressed this is good but, i yeah. definitely used a reference but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <that's the> girl <laughs> she's so sassy she's super uh, sassy. speaking of rob travolta why don't you give us a little background about yourself before we dig into like the real personal shit well so i'm I'm a musician. Um, I'm a bass player and I've played in a bunch of local projects throughout the last 10 years living in Missoula. I'm like, you know, after year 10, you can finally say you're a local here. It's pretty great. I've been like, I'm a local. I'm from here. This is awesome. But, um, but yeah, um, basically I'm, 
you know, I'm a bass player and I've been in a handful of projects since about 2012. And one of my most recent projects is Rob Travolta, which is a band that I write all the music for on a bass guitar. So I'm like basically writing all these songs and composing the arrangements. And I have a drummer that plays with me. And on the last record, I had a handful of people who collaborated with me. Um, like I had a Trump, like Jenny Long on trumpet, Brian Tremper on synth, and um, Aaron Jennings on lap steel. I had Justin Decker play the harp. It, it was an awesome project, but it's kind of my first like project where I am like the like bad bitch in charge, I guess is what I want to say. You know, <laughs> like everything goes by me. I get to approve everything. You know, I get to book the shows, and it's it's been super validating that it's been going over as smoothly, smoothly as it is because I've, you know, I think I've, it's safe to say I've like gave a lot of my life to music over the last 10 years and have learned so much. So it's nice to put everything I've learned in all these projects to practice and Rob Travolta is great. Let's go ahead and um, I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, what is schizophrenia? So schizophrenia um, it's something I have been diagnosed with, but I wanted to clear this up. My most recent diagnosis is schizoaffective disorder, and I'm going to be referring to that as SZA, which is the, the abbreviated version of schizoaffective. And there's not a lot of difference in the two. I think, you know, a lot of like the professional opinion is, you know, basically people with SEA and schizophrenia can experience a lot of the same symptoms. But I mean, I, and I should just get this disclaimer out of the way. I am not a healthcare professional and I do not represent everyone with schizoaffective or schizophrenia. And there's lots of limits to what I know about it. And I think that in my opinion, schizophrenia is something that is recurring, you know, medication might help, medic medication might not help, but this is something that people live with, you know, you know, it affects their lives on, I guess, like every couple years is what it takes. Like if you have a, a schizophrenic episode every couple years on medication, you know, you basically get that diagnosis as schizophrenic, but um, schizoaffective, is kind of a term where they use it when they really don't know what's going on. Like, it's like, you've had this episode, we know you experience these symptoms, but you might not have an episode for 10, 20, 30 years, maybe the rest of your life. I feel like a lot of people with a schizoaffective disorder do have, you know, weekly challenges sometimes, but people like me sometimes can go, I'm on year nine where I haven't, in my opinion, experienced any of the severe symptoms of schizo uh, schizoaffective disorder. I'm totally burping right now. And it sounds, I'm like, oh my God, this is important. I can't be burping right now. But, <laughs> I couldn't um, tell. Don't worry. Awesome. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, schizoaffective disorder is basically an umbrella term. And honestly, I think schizophrenia is an umbrella term as well. But that's just, that's, totally opinionated for sure so what are the symptoms basically for schizophrenia and schizoaffective um there is you know 
it's like delusional thinking and delusional like uh delusional thought processes are a part of it but the main thing i think for me that i have experienced as someone with schizoaffective disorder and i think the main thing is um basically experiencing some type of hallucinatory uh effect in in reality it's you know it's it's weird to say out loud um Mm -hmm. it's like one of those things where you're coming to these conclusions maybe not in a logical way the way i describe it is you know when i'm when i'm suffering from mania or a delusional thought process you know sometimes you come to this conclusion with a logical step you know you have like I think this is a reality because of these reasons. Um, and that's kind of a normal thought process. You know, you, mm-hmm. you have evidence, you have, you know, some kind of time frame, et cetera. But with schizoaffective, you know, you're often being influenced by things that you process that, you know, instead of going A, B, C, D, you might go A, F, X, Y, D, or something. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it just it just doesn't really make sense how you're coming to these conclusions. Um, for me, some of which, you know, have been, like, internalized. You know what I mean? Like, but when I think about it in retrospect, I was like, man, I came to this absurd conclusion based on these random things that I observed as an individual but those observations for me were 100% valid and they were presented to me, you know, subconsciously or whatever. I mean, I'm just trying to make basically, you know, under the sop, on under the delusional kind of mania, like just trying to make sense of a lot of stimulus that doesn't make sense. So, of course, whatever you're thinking is inherently probably not going to make sense I guess yeah (laughs) is there a specific example you could give us oh my god (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's silly silly because people always one of the most common questions I get are like do you remember these episodes and I remember everyone in detail and it's not something I like to remember but it's it's something that's you know it's something that you know, your memory doesn't go away because you have these episodes. Like, I remember these episodes like they actually happened in, you know, in like in real life. Um, so I want to preface the story with a trigger warning that we're talking mental illness and shit gets weird. And if this makes someone queasy, uh, just be forewarned, I guess. I think that's mm-hmm. probably appropriate. But um. I'm gonna I'll tell a funny story because a lot of the shit is really funny to be honest um yeah in hindsight yeah in hindsight it's silly um so during my second you know I've I would say in my whole life I've had you know I was diagnosed when I was 18 um and in that hope and I'm 31 in that whole period of time I think I've experienced what it is to be having an episode twice in my whole adult life so the second time I was uh you know like you know I had to move back to Great Falls 
uh, because of this episode I had, and it lasts the the episode itself lasted like it months, like it was really frustrating. And it's funny because the second time I had the illness, I'm such kind of an introspective person that I realized I was having the episode. I moved home on my own accord and and basically, you know, like I didn't move back in with my parents. Like my folks hooked me up with an appointment and I pretty much was like, hey, like, you know, I've done so much in my life in Missoula. I w- I'm in this band. I have a lot. I'm trying to accomplish with my time and I honestly was terrified of going back to the psych ward because it's like it it's like giving everything away to someone and trusting them to appropriately medicate you um but the damage that can be done at least for me was so severe that I was like hey like I the second time I was admittedly off of medication um, for I was off my medication for like seven or eight months and a lot of that was because of a I wanted to perform well at a job and I thought that the medication was making me drag that's like a cliff notes explanation so anyways um, I was like kind of taking care of myself getting back on medication and I was trying to surround myself with my friends because it's a really healthy thing to do um, I in my opinion um, so one day my, me and my friend Austin were hanging out and if you know me, you know, I smoke a lot of hookah and hookah was one of those things that was so stress relieving. So I was like smoking hookah at my appointment and I was hanging out with Austin. It was a good time. And I noticed these two people walk by in a dog and then they suddenly stop and they start pointing at the window. Like, you know, the, like in my my thought process was like they just they they're seeing a smoke a bubbly machine they must think it's illegal and they're probably gonna you know they're like making they're making a point to let us know that they know so and like we weren't doing anything illegal we were smoking tobacco out of a hookah you know there's like no reason to fret and I like get up and I'm like do you see that like those people are pointing at us and this is like one of those like this was a big moment for me as someone with seizoaffective disorder because I never knew if I could hallucinate real people you know what I mean like I heard from this you know previously I heard voices I heard stuff on the radio like I you know would see my computer malfunction and you know I you know it was like a hallucination but I've never thought I could really hallucinate people and my friend Austin was like I guess the story isn't funny. Okay. But um, <laughs> but my friend Austin, you know, he, he was such a good friend and really cared about me. He's like, dude, I do not see a dog or those two people pointing at us. Like, there's no one there. There's absolutely no one there. And when he said that, they looked down and walked away. Like, the, the hallucination, you know. And it was just, it was, it, it was so real, you know. There's nothing that could that I could have done to distinguish that as something not happening. So yeah, it's just like, it's, it's honestly just kind of scary and really vulnerable, you know, and, um, but yeah, like, that's kind of one example. And I can go into this later, kind of what mine looks like. 
like in in general i guess too yeah man that sounds terrifying yeah it's (laughs) (laughs) like and it's crazy like okay um i just want to say like one other example because i think this is really important to say because um people kind of cast the same judgment on everyone with this diagnosis you know and the more you meet people with schizoaffective disorder none of these people have the same delusions none of this illness manifests in the exact same way um and for me a lot of my hallucinations were media based tv based radio based basically things I could explain. I've never had like the anomalous voice in my head, but I've had, I've watched, you know, TV shows that don't exist. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like I turn on the TV and then I'll go back and try and find these things after the fact and they just don't exist. And it's like, so, it's so trippy because I feel like my brain won't accept like a, I mean, this is like such a speculation, but it's just like, I feel like for me, it's like I'm tricked into these things by like, you know, media stimulus essentially, you know, but, and it was trippy to see like the fake people because I was like, this is new. Like this isn't something that's in my ballpark, but that was kind of a moment for me where I was like, holy crap like this is a reality this illness is a reality for me that I need to get a hundred percent on top of you know because I after that there was no doubting to me that I had this illness but it was a matter of how can I preserve the best parts of myself and how can I battle this and make this part of my existence something I don't have to deal with to exist in a society yeah okay good end point (laughs) (laughs) so what are the ways that you have found that help you feel balanced and yeah balanced that's how i don't know that's usually the word i like to describe or like yeah you know help you find your baseline i feel like um for me a lot of it and I, I'm glad you asked this question because it was something I wanted to talk about. Um, for me, it's it's a recipe, you know, like, you know, people kind of assume like, you know, if you have a mental illness, you get medication and then you're better, you know? And I think for me, it's like, yes, I take my medication daily and I know it's a critical part in helping my mind function but there's a lot more, there's a lot more to it. Like, I feel like for me, what keeps me balanced a lot of the times is expression, you know, music, uh, a big part of it, accountability, having a job, having a community and having friends. I think for my personal experience, all those things that drive me to do what I do well and be a good friend are a part of me staying, you know, grounded, um, and, you know, and, and maybe empathetic even. And a lot of that accountability to my friends and to, you know, people who believe in me, it, it gives me the motivation 
to stay grounded. And a lot of it too is, for me, it's stress management. And that's like a huge part of it too. Your medication might help you stay grounded, but like if you're in a situation where you are so stressed out, whether it be with work, relationships, um, you know, maybe maybe there's some drama, whatever. It's not like the medication's gonna be an impenetrable fortress of of you know sanity. You have to manage your stress because once you kind of dig into this mental illness, you realize, oh man, like people do have breaks even if they're fully medicated, you know? And I think the biggest thing for me is just like identifying how much is too much and knowing not to to pull too much, put too much on my plate so I can like, you know, like have the time to stay grounded and focus on staying grounded, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get a lot of support from your family? Oh yeah. I think um, for me, it's, my family is something that I consider quintessential in my recovery from episodes and continued stability. You know, um, it's so silly too because, like, you know, schizoaffective runs in my family. And it was honestly like not on my radar as a kid. You know, I, I got this illness when I was like 18. And the entire 18 years prior, there was no preparation, there was no warning, even though it ran in my family, I just didn't even think about it, you know, it was so off my radar, but my family is, like, they're a key part of that recipe, too, you know what I mean, like, I feel like, you know, without my dad's support, you know, he's, I admittedly given me financial support after episodes, and, like, also just, you know, like, it sounds silly, like, I'm a 31-year-old bearded guy, but I talk my, on the phone with my dad every day and I just check in with him. You know, I'm like, yeah, I, you know, like part of it's like a medication check-in. Like, yeah, I took my medication today. But it's also a chance for him to vent to me and for me to vent to my dad and get that reassurance, you know, that sometimes people get from therapy or a friend or a family member. And it's funny because when we started doing the daily check-ins, um, you know, it was always, you know, for me to make sure, you know, I think it was like peace of mind for both of us, but now it's to the point where he's venting to me, I'm venting to him, and it's just like this, like, thing where we're just bonding over the phone, and I'm, it's, I'm really thankful for that relationship with my dad, and I'm very mindful that, you know, it's, it's a privilege to have such a good relationship with, uh, you know, a family member like that, for sure, so. Have you found, uh, any types of therapy to be useful at all? I think um, there's a couple things that I think I found pretty useful. Um, therapy in general, <laughs> like just just going to see a therapist. Um, I uh, saw this therapist for a while throughout my early 20s. And he kind of, you know, this, this one guy is probably the best therapist I've ever met. Completely changed my life and my perspective um one thing about me is I'm you know LGBTQ LGBTQ I'm bi and you know I have this mental illness and yeah like I met this therapist and I was pretty much like came in sobbing you know what I mean like rock bottom I need therapy (laughs) like right now (laughs) and then you know he totally reinforced 
that belief in myself that I'm not a diagnosis. I'm not a sexuality. You know what I mean? I'm, I am who I am. And there's so much more to me than that part of my life experience. And uh, so I, I highly, you know, suggest it. I wish I could go to therapy now, but I'm on Medicaid and I've, I've had a few therapists since then, but none of them, I feel like I set the bar honestly so high with the first one that I just, mm-hmm. it just never really did the same thing for me after that point. Um, but uh, one cool thing I, I've benefited from, you know, meditation, I think is super key, you know, with or without any kind of mental struggles or, you know, mental divergence. Um, and something that's kind of neat, and I don't do this nearly as much as I used to, but I think it's called cognitive behavioral behavioral therapy. Yeah, um, I do that. And that's really interesting. That's something I would really highly suggest um, looking into. And for me, it was kind of just to combat interpersonal negativity, you know, and like mm-hmm. when I recognize the negative thought process, I would mindfully think about something else in such great detail. And then sometimes I, this is kind of brush stroking the idea, but like, you like maybe focus on your favorite picture or something. And before you know it, you feel that negativity less and less. And I think that's a basic concept, but I may be completely wrong. As disclaimer, as mentioned before, I kind of know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have done a lot of work with CBT. Um, I can, I can give an example. Six. So for example, someone told me once in like sixth grade, that I talk about myself a lot and that ha- that haunts me every day like every uh-huh. time I open my mouth I'm like like right now I'm like fuck I'm talking about myself like this like yeah. I have a guest on here I shouldn't be talking about myself I'll find Imagine some how excuse, I feel. <laughs> you know and um I brought this up to one of my therapists and on that note I loved her she was the first therapist awesome. ever that I got along with it took so much trial and error it is so important to find a therapist that you actually like just because otherwise, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like that's, I mean, that's time. key. Yeah. yeah. Um, but she was a big fan of CBT and she was like, all right, we're going to do math, which I was like, fuck, like, n- I, no. Um, yeah. And she wrote, you say math, I yeah. say refund. <laughs> <laughs> um, she wrote out on the board, you know, the belief that, like, I talk about myself too much. And she was like, okay, now how many friends do you have? And then that was, like, a whole, like, crisis of me, like, who do I really count as my friends? And, yeah. like, I came up with some number, like, four. And she was like, mm. you have more than four friends. And I was like, have it. But, and then it was, yeah, this whole other hill I had to climb. But eventually wow. I climbed it. And, you know, we did a bunch of, like, calculations, like, guessing like how many times do you talk to people each day how many people do you talk to each day now how many people have told you that you talk about yourself a lot and it's like well one yeah and then she goes yep. okay and she divides you know how many days and she does the math and then it comes out to point zero 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 like one percent of people say this about you and it's like okay and it requires a lot of work. CBT is work, which I hate. Like, I hate that it takes, like, like every day I have to, like, kind of work at it a little bit more. But when you do, it just becomes so much more natural. Well, and... I feel like, 
yeah, I love that example. What what were you gonna say? Sorry, I'm just like so. Oh no, that's pretty much it. I feel like it's like that's also like one of those things too, where like you know you're you're undoing internalization, which also can be combating a traumatic experience. You know, whether it be like bullying or just you know something that you've internalized that in your adult life, like. Like, one thing I always tell myself, too, is, like, you know, people are people and everyone has their own course. And, like, it's very rare to me that someone, you know, doesn't give me the respect you would give anyone. You know what I mean? Kind of thing. And, like, people are usually, like, in their own lane. And, like, I don't know. I I think that, like, it's interesting, too. That's, like, a whole other subject, I think, especially with, like, schizoaffective disorder like, and, you know, internalizing what other people think about you, like, when really, I think people are just trying to keep their shit together as well, you know, (laughs) like, yeah. Yeah, and that's another part of CBT that we worked on is, like, I'm always, like, hyper aware of other people and just constantly assessing everyone as, like, a threat in some way or another, um, whether it be, like, socially or physically, and part of CBT is, like, you know, analyzing, well, how often are you staring at strangers and then thinking about them later and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and trying to, you know, get yourself out of that. Um, Again, it's so much work, but. Yeah, it's, it's work. I, I think a lot of the times it's, it's, and it's also, it's leaning a lot on, on logic, you know, to, and just like, I feel like it's cool because like it makes you kind of self-aware of how you observe the world and then when you think about like your perception like if you like let's let's have a like a silly example like let's be like oh I'm wearing pink shoes today because they're the only shoes I have and I'm so embarrassed because I'm wearing pink shoes I'm a bearded man this is me I'm talking about and then I realize like how many people's shoes do I remember from the last five years of my life and I'm like zero you know unless I'm like those are some dope dope shoes and that's it you know what I mean (laughs) like yeah yeah super silly yeah that's a great example it's interesting too because I've never heard that explanation for cognitive behavioral therapy I always I don't know I was I was kind of what I was kind of taught to it's like thought association but I, I like I said like I could be completely wrong but I, I like I like that a lot that could too. also be dialectical behavioral therapy which I've also oh. done I'm not really sure where the line is to be okay. honest um I don't like acronyms like acronyms and numbers my brain just kind of like starts to shut down it's like er, no nope. um yeah. <laughs> I don't know why um do you want to go into what an episode looks like or i'm gonna probably do like a brush stroke of it i do want to say uh one of the things about schizoaffective that i want to talk about too that i think is really important to understand is the metaphor i make for schizoaffective and schizophrenia is the is how people experience these episodes are as wide are as varying as how diverse like people's thought processes are themselves so in my opinion no one's really 
experiencing the same thing when they have an episode. You know, there might be overlap, there might be similar themes, but you know, everyone has a unique way of thinking, which makes the effect of this illness on individuals individualistic, if that makes sense. So for me, the first time I had an episode, I was, you know, 18, it wasn't on my radar. And basically the first time I think I experienced delusion or hallucination was playing Counter-Strike, to be honest. As a as a 18-year-old boy who loved video games, um, I basically, you know, was like, you know, on this computer, you know, I was kind of a computer head when I was a kid. And um, one of the one of the kind of scariest but uh, really key examples of when it made sense, like, you know, because I didn't really, I didn't really know what was going on. Um, you know, I, I basically like had this episode, ended up in the psych ward, was basically locked in the psych ward for two weeks without anyone saying, this is what you're dealing with. And then I got out of the psych ward and then I went to my first round of therapy with a social worker. Um, shouts to social workers, by the way. I love social workers. And then that social worker, probably 15 days after our 15, 16 days after I was in the psych ward, was like, We're looking at schizophrenia. And like when I heard that word, it was a relief. It was a huge relief to me when I first heard about it. Cause I was like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Like, you know, cause I had all these weird anomalous things happening in my reality, you know, and yeah, it just, the diagnosis made so much sense to me. And I was like, you know, I imagine, I remember feeling that way when I was 18, you're so gun ho as a, a young person that you're just like, let's fight this. Let's get, let's, this is something I can, this is something I know about. And at least I have the knowledge to handle this now, which is crazy. Um, that took so long for someone to just give me the basic information that I deserved probably from day one in the hospital. That's also my opinion. So the example I was going to give about what it kind of looked like for me, you know, I was like playing Counter-Strike um, and I was super good at Counter-Strike when I was manic. That's just flexing. <laughs> but um, I started like looking through songs and um, it was a Windows Media Player at the time. This was the day of the terabytes where you actually had to, you know, either buy CDs or download a vast discography of music to listen to off of a pirating site. And uh, I started scrolling down my w Windows Media Player and it would be like, imagine like, you know, you're scrolling through all your favorite songs and you see six songs all with the same title or seven songs all with the same title. And that title to that song is you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah. And then you would scroll more and 10 songs would have the same title. Maybe try again or give up or something like that, you know, and it's freaky because like, so I started noticing this on my computer this is like recent technology. So my first explanation for this, cause it was like insane being on the computer during this first episode, I was, someone's hacking my computer, you know, like that's what I thought. I was like, someone's hacking my computer 
and it's waking out and it's really freaking me out you know like i don't know who has access to this computer like why they would be doing this and you're just trying to run these logical circles and like i wasn't getting a lot of sleep my family was super worried about what was going on um and eventually i i ended up in the in the psych ward you know and it's 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 not funny but it's it's kind of a sad story like me and my brother um you know we fought when we were like very little but from like I can't remember fighting once with my brother after I was about 10 years old because we were just best friends you know like we were best friends we we're always hanging out like his friends are my friends my friends are his friends and we just got along and the first time I ever fought with my brother was right before I went to the psych ward and he had just basically convinced me to go to the hospital and it was really sad like I you know and I remember that distinctly <laughs> we were outside of the we were outside of uh this restaurant uh La Pastada home of the Pastada um <laughs> it's and like it was this place I've been to a thousand times and he he convinced me to go to the psych ward and I think that was the only way I was going to willingly go to be honest um was that if he brought me there and he did to be honest I like the reality of my illness is really scary you know knowing that basically you can't trust your eyes or ears during these these episodes you know it's like it's a level of vulnerability that I don't envy anyone that has to you know, I don't wish it on anyone, you know what I mean? But yeah. You said you've had two episodes? Yeah, just two. Like I, so I think I have maybe three, um, but the, but I had two big episodes and I kind of got a scare in the middle of that time period. I always question if it was an episode or not. Um, I think it was like a slight one. But it was one that was pretty manageable. And I like took time off of work and got back after a couple months. It was way less damaging than the the first major one and the second major one. There was like a blip in the middle. When you were getting those messages, like doing it wrong and try again, do you think that was and we don't have to pick this apart, but I've just been kind of like <laughs> obsessed with the subconscious lately and like low-key getting into metaphysics. Um yeah. but do you think that was your brain trying to like process something Definitely. that was going on? Yeah. I I mean my in my belief like in everyone with schizoaffective disorder has their own explanation for all this stuff and it's you know why they're ranging but I really think it's a product of what you internalize, what you believe and what you're facing and your in your life you know whenever it hits it's good to note, you know kind of to go back to stress management that before you know I was I was like you know it was the end of summer I was 18 I was going to college it was a stressful time for me and and one of the things is like it's it's kind of salty um but I feel like for me I had the worst coming out story of anyone that I'm aware of you know because like right before I had this, you know, I noticed this break, like, I had my first boyfriend in high school, and we broke up, and my dad, you know, I came out to my family, and my, you know, I love my dad, and he's the biggest spoiler in the world, and he, he's a 
big, you know, he's pro LGBTQ, but it was a shock for him to to know that about me. And it's silly because my mom was like, boy, I knew you gay since you were 11. Like, you know, like, <laughs> and I was like, you did? Like, oh my God, you see me, mom? Like, you know, but um, it was a hard time. You know, I was like about to go to college and move away and things are rocky with my dad, which was a huge trigger for me, to be honest. I'm not passing judgment on my dad, but like, right before like maybe a week before you know like I started noticing this stuff it's like you know we got in a like like the first time I ever got in a physical thing with my dad he he pushed me you know like into a a laundry like in the laundry room and I just remembered like after that I felt like I just snapped you know like and I I did you know it's it was scary but it's just it just it's unfortunate that all that coincided with me coming out as a as like a bi male because I remember coming out being so ready to handle it and then like man this is so sad <laughs> like um, but like I just remember like coming out as like a bi male like ready to take this battle on and then I'm in the psych ward and then I'm schizophrenic and I was like I can't deal with this like I can't deal with all this weight right now you know like you know coming out as bi seemed so manageable but like having all these labels like you know like bi and schizophrenic you're just like damn enough is enough you know <laughs> like yeah. it's silly. and it's just to kind of paint a picture of like this was what I was going through at that time like all this you know, stuff, and it just was so much stress, I, I couldn't handle it, you know what I mean, so. What are some misconceptions that you think people have about schizophrenia or schizoaffective disorder? Oh, I, I have a story saved, so um, I think his name is Matt Lauer, do you know who Matt Lauer is? That dude, mm. the anchor? I think his, mm. I'm, he, some random anchor, and I saw this, um, video of like it was titled like a practice in empathy with schizophrenia and basically this anchor had to do all these kind of math tests and stuff one was without the simulated schizophrenia sorry i had a funny voice to say that um so the simulated schizophrenia was him with earbuds basically hearing voices and messages in his head at random and I was like, no, like that is not what I've been through. And that's not what a lot of people have been through. But yet this anchor is on national television telling people what schizophrenia is, telling them to be empathetic. And for me, it's like after you hear that, you just assume that every person you meet with schizoaffective disorder has some random person screaming in their head, you know, and like the difference is with me. You know, I've had all these hallucinations, you know, the tw two times in my life, but I've never had that, you know, I've never had the random voice that's just in your head no matter what. Like, there's always some kind of exclamation for me, you know what I mean? So, like, I couldn't relate as a schizoaffective person, yet this guy is trying to do a good thing and tell people to be empathetic, 
while misrepresenting an entire demographic of people with unique experiences. And like I feel like the stigmas just are non are just go on and on too. This is something I'm that's kind of a two-sided coin. And I've been thinking about how because I did want to mention this, you know, like the level of discrimination I faced as someone who's tr- uh, schizoaffective in um, at the workplace. I um, basically had two jobs where I really feel like they discriminated against me. One of which I thought I did a great job at, and I basically had my episode after a season of working there. And then they offer me basically a demotion the next season. They're like, we want you to work here, but we're gonna give you the easiest job there is. Um, after I performed really well at that job. And there was another job I had where, you know, like I'm not gonna name these places, but I had another job basically that, you know, I it's kind of silly. There was a advocacy piece written about me and I was like, oh my God, like I haven't told anyone about this. And I have, there's an article that's gonna be about my mental illness coming out. So I let the owners know about it. And I was just like, you know, advocacy is so important to me that I just want you to hear it from me instead of reading about it. This is like the shade of gray for me because they were so supportive, so proud of my advocacy, so accommodating from that point forward in a, in a way but I remember I like disclosed to a manager. I was like, man, like I had to overcome a lot of mental obstacles in this job because it's a demanding job, you know, like, you know, like a, you know, it was a, a job that was heavy on multitasking, heavy on face-to-face interactions. You had to memorize a bunch of stuff and, and I got good at it. You know, I, I went through the hard times and I got good at it. And that was like the point of that conversation. But then after that conversation, I didn't, I didn't have any ships. Like I had the, I had the one job, but I basically had three or four ships taken away from me, you know, after basically, you know, thinking I could rely on this to pay all my bills. And then I basically the cliff notes, I ended up leaving for an for an old job where I could basically pay pay my bills and I'm like I got so comfortable you know as a mental health advocate that when they wouldn't let me cover shifts I worked these same shifts I took it so hard and I was like man I've been doing this for over a year and now I can't even cover a shift it's just like insane like the discrimination is real and I feel like a big part of that is that no one teaches someone how to advocate someone for a mental illness no one teaches people that people with schizophrenia are diverse you know like if I was you know like not to flex too much on myself but like if I was going to use a couple words to describe me I would say artistic musician dependable reliable and I would even use a word level-headed and calm you know yeah those like, are accurate yeah like and it's just like but you know you use all that all those words and I don't think anyone with you know 
their conception of what schizophrenia is would ever use those words to describe someone describe you know with that label i feel like everyone with this illness like has a huge level of potential and i also feel that like a lot you know like i was talking about my recipe for for stability you know a lot of the treatment or just like you know the stigma keeps a lot of folks with sca basically isolated you know ssid requires that people make less money or not work at all and it's like all these things that i think that i practice in my daily life going to work five days a week um being accountable to bands and projects i'm in being accountable to my friends are things that aren't even talked about that much when treating mental illness yet it's so key for me like music and expression is so key being able to articulate my feelings is so key but it's just like one of those things where it's just like it's so hard to even get treatment for mental illness in this town I feel like people are just like you know take a pill and that's it you know when there's there's so many more routes to treatment that should be explored one of which is accountability to a community whatever way that appears I guess yeah yeah I'm like taking all these questions and just going on all these like rabbit hole thought process (laughs) perfect yes um is there anything else you wanted to touch on I feel like the biggest the biggest point I want to make too in general is like like there's so many levels to people and like let people make their own impressions for themselves and let their actions and the way they treat others be let them represent themselves it's just like don't buy into stigma and I feel like also like a like a making like talking about mental illness because it is taboo you know in so many ways you know, people just don't bring it up, but I think we need to normalize, like, how we all deal with our struggles, whether it be with neurodivergency or not, you know, I feel like a lot of these things encompass each other. Um, A lot of the lessons I've learned having a mental illness are so applicable to, on a universal level, and I feel like, you know, discussing and being open-minded about you know, how we live with, how we live with a diagnosis or how we overcome and not ranking them either. Because if like all these like things with neurodivergency affect people equally, and I think we need to normalize and not make mental illness a taboo thing anymore, because the more it goes on, I think the less healing is going to be done and the less progress we, we can are gonna have you know what I mean I just yeah I feel like this is like my most passionate subject too so I'm sorry if I'm ranting a bunch (laughs) no no I love it but um another thing too for me is just like don't if you know someone has like a diagnosis like SCA like like I said like don't judge a book by that one word you know like one thing about me you know is like I've been working for nine years straight with no breaks you know I have like a nine-year employment history I have been in a lot of bands I've went on tour I I'm super creative there's so many levels to people and there's so much people can accomplish with or without without a diagnosis 
that that you know we need to stop using those words like schizophrenic as a definitive point about someone you know because there's so many levels that totally get washed over when you romanticize stuff like that you know what i mean like yeah anyways yeah hmm. <laughs> anything else one of the things too um is that if there's anyone listening to this that has had a serious diagnosis recently I cannot stress enough, you know, like having a mental, uh, like a neurodivergent stuff happen in your life. There is so, you know, like I said, like so much you can accomplish and not to give up. Like, you know, I've, I've like had points in my life where I've had such low self-esteem and internalized that like, I deserve this and this is who I am. And it's crazy how wrong I've my I've proved, you know, how wrong I was and how much potential there is to life and relationships and friends. I think that anyone dealing with anxiety, like so you know, social or otherwise, or depression or trauma needs to give themselves grace and know that they deserve a solid life, you know what I mean? And that that it's worth it and that results are super accomplishable thanks rob you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> yay um if people want to listen to your sweet sweet jams how can they find them i am in my main project right now i have an instagram account for which is rob rob dot travolta on instagram um rob travolta is also on spotify and bandcamp and then also um, other bands I love that I'm a part of, um, check out uh, Wilma Laverne Minor, um, which is a band I play in. Um, check out Fools. Check out um, Go Hibiki and Tormi are bands I've been in. Um, yeah, I, I've been in a lot of projects. Um, but yeah, the main ones right now, my main focus right now is Rob Travolta. I would love to for y'all to listen to my music and see what I do. Yeah, I'm going to post all of those links, all of them. Sick. Yeah. Oh, Sunraiser. I was trying I was like I know oh, there Sunraiser. was one. Yeah, I remember Sunraiser. Sunraiser um, was super fun. Eat Strike. Yeah. Eat Strike was a good time. Um I'm trying to think. And the, well, the first band I was ever in was called Boys from Missoula. And that's oh, some yeah. super fun music. One of the Isn't there like a shark or something? Mountain Shark was one of them. Um, one of the, I have actually a brand new project and we practiced maybe like four times and uh, we don't have a name, but uh, keep a, keep an eye out for uh, a new project. Um, I, I just started playing with this guy, these guys, um, Nick Hoxley, who's an old bandmate of mine from Boys, Mike Hannock from Western States and Wojciech and Aaron Patterson, and I'm super excited. It's like kind of like a post-punk project. I'm super excited about it. And also keep your ears out for something super exciting and super surprising that I'm not gonna drop right now, but there is something in the works that I think a lot of people from Missoula, um, that's moss to a show of mine, are gonna be very excited about. So. Ooh. Keep an ear out for news on all the music fronts and 
Yeah, and also thank you so much for having me, Elizabeth. It was very nice. I don't know, like we're really good friends and it's awesome to be able to talk and be open to someone I know so well. So thank you for having me on your podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming on and thanks for being so vulnerable. I know it's not always easy, but I know there's going to be at least one person out there that's going to like it. I mean, I know it resonates with me, but it's going to really resonate with somebody at least. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things where it's just like it needs to be talked about more, you know, and advocacy is like one of those things to me that's kind of trumps everything I do. You know, like I feel like mental health advocacy is like my calling but you can't make any money being a mental health advocate <laughs> but yeah just... nothing good in this world makes money yep <laughs> but yeah but i just i think it's really important and i feel like you know like it's one of those things where i'm happy to share my experiences but like i said like i feel like you know talking about mental health you know is like one of those things that's important but also like knowing that I feel like, like you said, like kind of skies, I feel like, like, I guess the last thing I want to say as far as like mental health stuff is the biggest stride I made within my schizoaffective disorder is learning how to trust myself again. And everyone deserves to trust themselves and, and grow and have, and dream and do what, you know, work for what they want in their lives, basically. But yeah. Yeah. Oh, so inspirational. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, oh, man. Yeah, I'm like, and I'm so I'm stoked to talk about it too. Like it's like I said, one of those things where it's just like it's very it's a very important subject. And I think that there's so much to learn from each other, you know, even if you don't have a diagnosis, like these are all th- like all these things, it's you know, it's all encompassed. I feel like a lot of the stuff that results you know, from like having schizoaffective, a lot of the same struggles are faced with people, whether they have a mental diagnosis or not. So we need to start Mm -hmm. talking about this stuff, but yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Is that, is, are we done? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Such a good conversation. So I hope you will tune in next month. I can't tell you what the topic is because I haven't decided yet at the time of this recording but what i can tell you is in the future we will be having some episodes on scientology and the federal siege at ruby ridge i am hoping to get an episode on cryptocurrency but i'm forcing myself to read a book about it first not that that's going to help me understand it but i'm going to do my best i would love to do more episodes on uh, mental illness, mental health. If you know of anybody or if you yourself would like to be a guest, you know of anybody, an expert in their field that you just want to hear more from, please send them my way. Um, I like to have a variety of topics. And let's see, there was something else I was going to say, but I don't remember what it is. So I hope you loved it. I loved it. Love you.